welcome to the Noise Creators Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Cadden, and today is an awesome day because we have Jay Zuberke. Jay is actually a producer who, when I hear his records, I really love what he does. Um, I'm continually impressed when I hear his stuff with just how awesome it is, and if he's flying under your radar, you should fix that immediately. He's worked with groups like Head North, Water Me Down, Pentimento, Casey Bowles, and recently got to work under Will Putney on the new Every Time I Die record. So some pretty awesome stuff, and we get into all of that on this podcast, and he has some really, really great insight on all this. Um, one thing I want to say before we get started is, uh, as you see, this podcast has been a little irregular. I want to apologize about that. Sadly, we had some serious cancellations that put us so we don't have a stack of episodes to make up for that uh, anymore, but we're trying to get back on track, and we should be going back to a bi-weekly podcast any week now. So it's a little tough with the summer. People don't want to be uh, sitting in a room, uh, usually windowless and soundproof, talking to me all the time once it's nice out. So hopefully we'll be back on track with that soon. But what I wanted to do is encourage you to go check out Jay's Noise Careers profile, get to know him, read his bio, listen to his Spotify playlist, check out his discography, and get to know him better. So check this episode out. One second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service, and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones. And if you're one of the best ones, we're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. So what's your chain for recording your voice today? Uh, right now I'm using a Neumann M149 microphone and that is going into a Vintec X73i preamp. Very cool chain. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about your background in music. Uh, my background in music is uh, nothing really... Uh, you know, professionally trained, basically just playing in bands. Started when I was about 12 years old, got into guitar, listened to like a lot of Green Day and Weezer and stuff mm. like that, and decided that I wanted to try to play guitar in a band. So I just kind of went for it. Never took many lessons, I think just a handful. And so, like I said, nothing really professionally uh, as far as training, but um, just playing in bands since I was a kid, you know, just trying to work at you know, uh, getting as much experience as I could while playing in those bands. That's what kind of led me into engineering as well. So tell me about that transition. Pretty much when I was in high school, I was pretty lucky that the school I was at, it was a, it was a Catholic all-boys school, and it was pretty much uh, the arts were 
non-existent, it's, we'll say. I, I was going to say, that's the first time I've ever heard somebody say they were lucky to go to Catholic school in my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think for this reason, pretty much almost only, but mm-hmm. um, what happened was my junior year, they uh, received a grant and it was to be used for media and arts. Mm. So what happened was there was a, a vacant floor of the school and what they ended up doing was turning it into everything from a recording studio to uh, a photography studio that did, you know, digital photography as well as film. And they had a whole new art center, you know, digital media classes, and it was great. And the studio was, you know, obviously I was gravitated towards that immediately. And that started um, my last, uh, about a year and a half at the, coll- at the high school. So that was basically, uh, that helped with my transition into that. Because at the same time, I was playing in bands. And what that allowed me to do was kind of just be in a studio environment that wasn't really a professional studio. They had great gear and the rooms were actually pretty decent rooms. Mm. But it gave me a place to kind of, you know, just be around the gear, be in the rooms. And uh, the instructor was really a really cool guy who helped me out along the way an awful lot. Very cool. And so you now work in a studio. Tell me about your transition to getting there. Sure. Yeah. Uh, right now, I, um, I've i been at GCR Audio in Buffalo for just over seven years, about seven and a half years now. Getting here was pretty much, you know, after working at that high school for a couple of years, um, I transitioned to another studio in town that um, was a professional studio. And I was able to, you know, cut my teeth uh, there and really start to at least understand a little bit more uh, about what audio engineering was from some of the engineers that were over there. Because again, I didn't go to school for this either. So that gave me the ability to be around professional engineers who were working every day. I was there for about four years. Yeah, almost four years. And the fine people over here at GCR um, had approached me and asked if I wanted to come check out the new studio they just built, or just renovated, rather. Mm-hmm. Came down, and it was a great fit, a great match. And I've been here, uh, let me see here, since the beginning of 2009. That's rad. So GCR is a really cool studio. I've looked at the website before. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about it? Yeah, for sure. It's a studio that was... Well, it's been a studio since the, I believe, early 80s, uh, late 70s, early 80s. It used to be called Trackmaster. It's in a very old building here that was actually a Catholic school a long time ago. And it's in the Allentown uh, section of Buffalo. And the studio itself um, had changed hands a bit in the 90s, early 2000s. And eventually the Goo Goo Dolls as a band ended up kind of taking it over. I think 2006, and they came in and decided it needed to be renovated, which it definitely did. And they were able to give it the proper treatment. John Stork came back, redesigned the rooms, and for after- listeners who don't know, John Stork is like the guy for studio design. Yeah, I mean this the room that he created here. And it's actually he did the first design way back in the late 70s, early 80s, mm. and so for him, he was able to come back and redesign it. You know, the same uh, engineer twice on the room. Uh, I thought wow. that was a pretty cool part of the that, story. That is really interesting. And uh, he did he did a great job. And uh, I really love the live room so much here. Yeah, every, every time I hear your records, though, that live room just sounds so insanely good. Yeah, and, you know, I think uh, we've done quite a few together now, right? Yeah. Uh, so 
you know, that live room is something I try, I really try to use that in the records that I make here just because it is, it's so valuable. So capturing that environment is something I'm always trying to do. But yeah, after the renovations, the guys decided to um, put in some really nice equipment. I got a lot of really nice gear here. Robbie, the bass player, Robbie Takeak mm-hmm. from the Goo Goo Dolls is the sole owner now. Oh, okay. Can you tell me, aside from the live room, something that makes the studio unique? We have... Our gear collection, it's its pretty cool because it spans many, many years. Anything from, um, you know, old military compressors to broadcast uh, equipment, got a lot of amps, pretty nice uh, drum collection as well. So I think, not that it makes it super unique, but the pieces that we have here, you know, I really think uh, benefit the recordings an awful lot. And like I said, it, it's a pretty cool... Uh, span of time when you look at the racks and you see stuff that that dates back to the early 60s and stuff that's brand new and everywhere in between i think a lot of that is is what could help you make a unique record here nice can you tell us one of the coolest pieces of gear you guys have uh one of my uh favorites would be uh an rca ba6a uh compressor that that's like the 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 best sounding piece of gear of all time. It's, <laughs> I love it. Mm. I, uh, it's, you know, for me, I, I try to use it as much as I can, but obviously tastefully, I love what it does on bass, mm-hmm. uh, what it does on vocals, you know, even running, uh, some drum room mics through it. Mm-hmm. To me, that's like the coolest, whether or not it's the best, uh, I'm not sure, but I think it's definitely the coolest piece and I really enjoy it. One of the things I, I, I remember, like when I was young, uh, somebody said, like, you know, as like a kid was like, well, is there like a piece of gear that if you just run things through that it'll just sound good? And I remember like, you know, like it was like one of those things like they'd ask this every time at the school. The one answer would be, oh, the RCA CPA 6A. Yeah, I, I actually I'm going to have to agree with that. I just think uh, whatever magic that it holds inside of its electronics uh, really it, it just it, the way it brings things forward adds a, a bit more um, kind of like mass to to what you're running through it. That's just to me something I'm trying to use as much as I can, and like I said, tastefully, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I just really love that that piece of gear. Nice. So you said you played guitar. Do you play any other instruments? You know what? It's funny because uh, even though I play guitar, I feel like I have gotten kind of like worse <laughs> since I focus so much on um, on trying to become a better engineer. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I find myself just kind of picking it up, kind of jamming in sessions a little bit more than, than I used to. I used to sit down and actually, uh, you know, rehearse and try to get better. But um, so yeah, I play guitar and... In the past couple of years, I, I've really tried to, I've made a push, I guess we could say, for, for the drums. And I think it's more or less me being interested in drums themselves for recording mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to work in a little jam session here and there. So maybe after a few more years of that, I'll be able to play a beat. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so on this podcast, we have this span that we like to say. We like to say on one side, there's uh, Steve Albini, who just says that was a good take but doesn't get involved in songwriting, and then you have a John Feldman who fully rewrites band songs. On that scale, where do you see yourself falling most of the time? Probably a little bit more towards, actually a lot more towards the Steve Albini side of it. Mm. Not that I don't want to write. If somebody, you know, a group or an artist says, hey, you know, we need some help with um, you know, one or two, however many songs it might be, uh, you know, I have no problem working on it to the best of my abilities. But I feel, uh, at least for what comes naturally for me, it's a little bit more of the Steve Albini side of things where if I can 
um, help them get the best out of what they bring to the table. That's what I like to do rather than try to uh, change too much of, of what they have going on. You know, structurally, obviously, like, you know, changes uh, for structure, uh, you know, adding harmonies, uh, writing some lead parts. Uh, that's definitely something that I feel uh, I do quite a bit with. Mm. As far as, like, you know, actually having like, writing sessions with the artists, I'm not doing a whole lot of writing with the artists that I'm working with. Nice. So you're a little bit more, that's like, I, I think we'd call like the center of the scale on that. Yeah, I'd say right, right smack dab in the middle. Nice. What do you think you bring to records most often? Uh, one of the things I really enjoy is trying to get the proper tones, mm-hmm. whether or not it's like you know the best uh, snare tone or the best guitar tone in the world. That's that's another story. But making sure it's the right tone for that song or that production, that's something that I feel like I uh, contribute a, a bit more mm. uh, to because. I don't know if it's just the technical side of it that I enjoy a little bit more. You know, going through different amps, pedals, guitars. Why does this drum sound uh, good for this one, but this one sounds bad? Mm. So I think, you know, maybe helping the artist discover the right tone, the right sound, the right feel for that song. That's that's kind of where I'm at. What is a common mistake you see bands do before getting to the studio? One of them, I think, would be maybe feeling the need to rush to get in. Mm, that's a good answer. Yeah, that's something that, you know, the time away from the studio is so valuable and your time for preparation is something that you really need to, to use because you're not on the clock. You know, if you're, you're practice space or wherever you're jamming and writing and you have the ability to you know rework a song as many times as you need to or get all the ideas out of your head and you know throw your iphone or whatever it is you have and on the floor and record and you know use that time to prepare so don't rush in that would be something that i I typically will uh tell the artists that i work with so yeah that kind of goes hand in hand with um scheduling studio time, uh, listening to bands demos. And, you know, I'm honest, I'll let them know if maybe we should wait a little bit longer till we come in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I say maybe trying to rush in and people are excited and it's, I totally get it, but that would be what my answer would be, would be maybe rushing in sometimes. No, it really is the thing is like, you know, there, and this is what I'm trying to combat with my next book is that no one's ever taught a band, especially like in, in the indie world where they don't have an A&R man to tell, to say like, Hey, this is not when you should be booking studio time. Wait till you have this, you know, you actually want to have played those songs for a few weeks and thought about them a little bit more and considered them more than just going, Oh crap, we're going to the studio tomorrow. We just finished uh, the songs. We have to write one tonight. Yeah, no, that's uh, I totally agree with with uh, bands that are you know a bit more established and they have timelines to follow. You know that's that's one thing where you know, they might need to book the studio time six months, mm-hmm. seven months in advance, and kind of use that window uh, as their motivation to um, you know finish writing an album. But if you have, I guess you could say, the luxury of not really having a deadline, you know, I'd say go in when when you when it feels right. Rather than, like you just said, you know, hey, we're going tomorrow. We still got to write the chorus to this song. Odds are, you know, you're probably going to end up, you know, going to the studio to sing whatever chorus you come up with. Mm-hmm. But after listening to it, you know, a week later or two weeks later, you might be thinking, oh, wow, we should have done this. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, you know, if, if you have the ability to uh, demo on your own and, you know, send it to the producer that, or engineer that you're working with, you know, get, get their feeling on it. 
see if they feel like you are ready and you should lock in some dates or if maybe, hey, you should maybe write one or two more songs because, you know, these are good, but maybe if you are writing something like the more the most recent song that you wrote, a couple more of those might be beneficial for the release. I like that. What's a smart thing you see bands do during the process? Well, with the the accessibility to home recording and how easy it can be now, I mean, even on your phones, one of the smarter, smart things I see artists doing now is what we were just talking about. More and more people are demoing on their own. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, you know, they might know that, hey, you know, we're not, we're not trying to make the record. We're just trying to, you know, catalog our ideas so we can show it to the producer. You know, that that's really valuable. And just having the ability to, um, even if it's just kind of like a sneak peek, maybe a couple weeks in advance, the producer can, you know, get the ideas going. Also, again, if there's any red flags, like, hey, why, why are you playing that um, that bridge part for so long? Or why is there three intros? You know, whatever yeah. it might be, it gives the producer a chance to, you know, to kind of interject and say, hey, what if you try this over the next, you know, two or three weeks of practices before we come in? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think one of the smartest things is bands and artists demoing and getting all the ideas laid down and presenting that to the producer engineer, letting them kind of, you know, simmer with it a little bit and, and get their ideas going. I like that. Uh, what happens when you and a band disagree about something? What will typically happen, I guess, is, you know, I try really hard to see it from their perspective, you know, wh- whatever it is that we're disagreeing on, maybe it's, um, you know, a, a certain take, uh, maybe it's a vocal take or, you know, it's a, a melody or a harmony that we're working on and then they're not, you know, liking what I'm putting out there. I try really hard to see where they're coming from and why, you know, they might not like the idea and, you know, always try to find some middle ground. But um, if we can't find any middle ground, you know, I'm, I'm here to make their record. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you know, I got to flex as well. I have no problem at all. You know, their ideas might be better than mine. You know, they're the ones who wrote the song. If something's just not clicking or maybe it's not conveying their uh, message or their feeling the right way, you know, I don't want to take that away from them. Mm. So I definitely want to work with them to make them happy and to get the the idea across to the listener the way that they're hearing it. So if that happens, you know, like I said, I'll try really hard to see it from their perspective and, and see if we can find some common ground. And if not, then we'll just make sure that what we're going to use for the idea is coming out the best that it can. I think you said an interesting thing in here, and it, it's hit me now that I've asked this question to 50 producers is the rarest part of that answer is the see it from their perspective because i think that really is the problem is that the band doesn't try to see it from the producer's perspective and the producer doesn't try to see it from their perspective you just argue for your instincts and i think that's a, a really great point that we have yet to explore despite asking this question 50 times yeah no i think um that kind of also uh, goes hand in hand with like the, the Steve Albini side of things mm-hmm. where, um, you know, I'm not trying to interject too much. Mm-hmm. And again, that's just my style. You know, the pro- I, there's many producers that I look up to who are heavily involved in writing mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe they'll say, hey, well, this, this really is the best idea or the best uh, path we should take. Trust me on it. But again, you know, with the more um, kind of being uh, just there to capture what they are bringing to the table uh, that kind of goes hand in hand with that. You know, like I said, you know, I'm sure there's enough times and plenty of times where the band's or the artist's idea uh, might be better than the producers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, again, it's about finding that common ground and, and maybe taking a step back 
to, to see what it is and to listen to what they're hearing. I like that. So let's get into how you feel about some of the modern production techniques out there to these days. How about amp simulators and reamping? Do those have a role in your productions? You know what? It's funny because I read that I read that on the list, and to be totally honest, with amp simulators or plugins, very little, if absolutely no, role. The very little side of it would be just using it for scratch guitars, scratch mm-hmm. bass, things like that. But um, I'd say, I, I'll actually say like all of the guitars, uh, I'm using amps, I'm not using plugins, and I, you know, I'm not using any sort of simulators. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just my style. I think, I think that stuff's come such a long way and it sounds great. I just, you know, my, my personal preference would be just to, you know, grab uh, one, two, three, however many nice amps, uh, some pedals, you know, some nice guitars and just, you know, do it that way. But I do think that amp simulators do have value, a lot of value actually in music production. Nice. How about sampled dash MIDI program drums? Almost the same boat as the as the amps. You know, from time to time, I'll maybe blend in a kick or a snare sample with the tones that I get. But definitely a little bit more of the natural sound is what I'm going for. And again, that stuff has come such a long way. You you could definitely do that with samples. And again, maybe part of it is just me really enjoying setting up, you know, a ton of gear and trying out maybe, you know, three or four different snare drums uh, in the live room and and trying to capture those the best way that I can. Maybe it's part of that is the reason I'm not using many samples. Mm -hmm. But I mean, from time to time, I'll blend something in, but it's really not that often. Nice. How about pitch correction? Pitch correction is something that um, I actually I do I do use. I'm gonna say probably on most projects, not all. You know, I like to try to get uh, the best performance, uh, the best take we can get out of the vocalist, and you know see what it is. Where do where do they need the help? Is it something that we can work on for a few minutes and make it a lot better? Um, I'd rather do that. But definitely understand the role of pitch correction in today's uh, music productions. And that's something that I do use, like I said, on most projects. But there was actually a project uh, not too long ago. I think you mastered it for me, mm-hmm. uh, the band Lovey. Uh, yes. We used absolutely no pitch correction. Nice. And that, the vocal sounds great. Yeah, I, th- I thought the, um, you know, the singer did a great job. And that was something where you know, he had requested, like, hey, let's try really hard to not use any sort of pitch correction. I want to try to get... I want to try to get this on my own. Mm-hmm. And so we worked, you know, not even like that much harder because he's such a good singer, mm-hmm. but we definitely played, paid a, a bit more attention to detail on the vocals on that one mm-hmm. to make sure we were getting the right takes and um, to make sure we were happy with the pitch of them. Well, I think it's the thing, like when you go for that goal, it's all, it's like, you know, you have to just take it another consideration. Whereas now it's like, most of the time it's like, all right, pitch is good enough. Emotion was there. Let's do right, it. right. And when you do that, you're like, all right, I need to actually care that this was dead on now. Yeah, exactly. And again, I, I, the one of the reasons I really like pitch correction would be because of what you just said. You know, the, the emotions there, the energy's there. Pitch is slightly off, but hey, I could fix it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I really like it. But um, again, if somebody band or artist wants to go for it without pitch correction, you know, just paying extra attention to um, to pitch and, and making sure that you're getting exactly what you need because you're not going to have that safety net if you're mm-hmm. really going for it without pitch correction. Do you master your own records? Rarely. You know, I've actually in the past, I'd say maybe four years or so, I've gotten away from it a bit more. Um, I'll still do it if somebody needs me to or wants me to, but um, through the artists, the bands I've been working with, I just find that I like getting that extra set of ears on it. You know, meeting you through through that 
and a handful of other mastering engineers that I work with pretty regularly, I just, I really like the results and I like having that other uh, perspective uh, on the, uh, the final product. Nice. Since you talked about not using amp simulators, let's get uh, three of your favorite amps. Three of my favorite amps. I'd say one of them would be uh, Matchless HC30. Ooh, nice. Yeah, that's something that, um, it's, a, it's a heavy hitter for me here. Mm-hmm. I'm using it quite a bit. Another one would have to be just a classic Fender Bassman, an amp that I use an awful lot. And I, I feel like, you know, using different uh, pickups and pedals, you can really get a lot of tones out of that amp. Mm-hmm. But, you know, no matter what you're doing, you have that kind of jangly sound cutting through. Nice. So I really enjoy it for that. Um, and what, 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 is it a black face, silver face? The one that I'm using is a silver face. Nice. Yeah, that's what um, I have as well. And again, yeah, I love it. It's mm-hmm. it's something that I, I picked up a while back before they went up a bit in price, mm-hmm. and it's it feels like a steal to me. Yeah. Um, and the third one, geez, that's a good question. That's mm-hmm. um, because I I am kind of like an amp guy. I really enjoy them. I, I remember like one of the first questions I wrote you as like, like, what'd you do on this? When I heard heard <laughs> of it, it was, it was like, because man, like tones you get are so great. Yeah, I remember that email. I think actually, I think it was a basement. Actually, yes, I, I think uh, so too. I was like, with, um, I I was think like my like, basement doesn't sound like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that email. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but the third one, maybe uh, for versatility, I really like. Uh, again, a not not a very expensive amp, but it doesn't need to be. It's the Music Man HD One Thirty. Great, great amp. And I like it so much because it takes pedals well. Mm-hmm. So uh, that gives you some flexibility and it gives you the uh, ability to go in and, you know, if you want more of a consistent tone, but you're changing it a little bit from song to song, maybe uh, by the use of pedals, that's a great amp to have plugged in. Mm-hmm. And again, it's kind of like a, to me, it's like a Swiss army knife. So that's, that's probably in my top, top three as well. And, you know, not always the most expensive amps, but definitely, um, you know, uh, very useful. Nice. How long does it usually take you to record a song, and how long does it usually take you to mix a song? To record a song, well, a lot of that would depend on you know the band, the preparation, um, how much production's going into it. But yeah, like a usual case just, scenario. Yeah, just the usual case would be. Around a day, mm. on average, maybe just a little bit over a day if there's a lot more vocals, maybe. But around a day if you kind of uh, take an average on it. And for mixing, probably around half a day, maybe mm. yeah, maybe four or five hours. What's a good lesson you've learned from another producer? Just to be understanding, and it, a lot of it comes down to, you know, there's a there's a mental side of this, and that's mostly mental. Mm. And just to be understanding and to try to keep the vibe of the room where it needs to be. And that doesn't always mean calm, you know, it might, you know, fire, fire them up a little bit if you need to. Don't, you know, obviously don't offend them, but, mm-hmm. you know, get, get the artists motivated the way they need to be. And that's something that I learned kind of early on. One of the producer engineers I was learning from was kind of like the Zen master. Mm-hmm. And he just had a way of running the room that I really admired. And he was able to, you know, through that, keep most of the artists happy even if there was a disagreement within the band he was able to handle it in a way that um, i really admired because you know staying neutral but kind of resolving issues Mm. so 
yeah, I'd say probably just um, being understanding and, and trying to, again, look at it from where the other side is coming from and working to find the middle ground, whether it's something creatively or uh, maybe it's tones or the way something sounds is to just, yeah, try to try to find that spot where there is a you know, understanding between both sides and you know do what you need to do to get there. Nice. Tell me about one of the best moments you've had in the studio. There's been, there, honestly, there's been so many, um, but one of my proudest ones was I had a chance to work on uh, a couple tracks on the new James Taylor album. Oh, nice. As, as an assistant engineer uh, to his producer, Dave O'Donnell, uh, along with one of our uh, engineers here at GCR, Justin, we had uh, the ability, or we had the chance to, to work on two tracks. He was coming through uh, Buffalo. He was on tour. Mm-hmm. You know, the studio got the call that uh, James was cutting an album before he was on tour, and he was kind of chipping away at it on the road. You know, different studios, even hotel rooms. Wow. And um, not, yeah, not, I, I guess so. He did years ago. He did one of the first records that people actually liked. I think I'd like D eighty eight. So I guess that's part of his weird creative process before everybody was doing it, right? Yeah, I think. Um, you know, with him, it's it's so much on the performance, mm-hmm. and you know, as long as it sounds good, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it could be. He doesn't really, you know, it could be recorded anywhere. And there's actually a, a short video that kind of came out around the same time as the album, and you can see they're in a hotel room and they had like makeshift baffles between mm. the background singers, which they were cutting live. Wow! And um, so they came in here and did it the same way. Yeah, I was able to work with with uh, James and his producer. Uh, for a full day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ended up everything that they cut here, they ended up using on the record. That's right. And Steve Gadd was the drummer, Ooh, which was also man. really cool for me. Uh, yeah. And I don't know, that to me, that's just a, a very uh, special experience uh, in all of this that, you know, I'll never forget it. And I think it will always be uh, very, very important to me. Nice. How about one of the worst moments you've had and what you learned from it? <sighs> worst? Um, Try to block those out, Jesse. <laughs> um, so, sorry about that. Yeah. You know, early on, I think um, most engineers make a lot of mistakes mm-hmm. um, and, you know, technical ones. And one of the ones that I remember, and just because it sticks with me because I learned from this mistake, is I didn't have, well, I was working at a studio that had a Pro Tools rig synced to a radar rig. Uh-huh. And it was one of my first sessions on my own, and it was a you know full band I um, didn't sync the radar to Pro Tools, so I had two different sample rates going on. Ooh, yeah, yeah. and yeah, I've been there. luckily, yeah, <laughs> luckily, what had happened was um, through all my paranoia and trying to make sure I'm taking care of you know the artist as much as I could. You know, throughout the day, I think it might have been on, on like a dinner break. I was like listening to the tracks. And um, I burned myself a CD mm. and I went out to my car just to see like if how bad my tones were because it's so early on. Mm. And um, I was like, why does this sound like really messed up? It, it sounds like some of the tracks sound slow mm-hmm. and what's going on here? So I went in and I checked and sure enough, I was in synced. Mm-hmm. So like I said, I think it fell right around the time of a dinner break. So I talked to the band and just kind of explained, hey, you know, I'm very, very sorry. And they were totally cool. We went in, played it two or three more times, got got the drum takes that we needed. I think we were cutting uh, bass simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And um, within a handful of uh, takes, we were, you know, we were back to where we needed to be. 
So it was, you know, quickly fixed, man, mm-hmm. but that definitely sticks with me. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I, I did, did the same thing back when we used to have those external clocks for uh, everybody's bad converters back in the day with Pro Tools. And uh, yep. uh, I did the same thing. The way I rec- rectified it was uh, I learned how to use SoundHack to alter the header and got the sample frequency right again. Wow, there you go. I mean, that's something I'm just learning now in 2016 from you. I mean, that's, it's, it's, there's it's, always it's, something to learn. It's you know? true. <laughs> there's always something to learn <laughs> when you're very motivated by the fact that you're going to have to tell a band that you really fucked up. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was, again, I was like, I was afraid to come out of my car. Uh-huh. I was sitting there and just, you know, identifying that there's something majorly wrong. And uh, at the time, I didn't quite know until I stepped back in the building. But yeah, that fear, uh, you know, the guys were much older than me, too. Mm. So it was, uh, you know, the nerves were pretty high. But like I said, they were very uh, understanding. And and it just took a couple more takes to get it. And as they say, once you make that mistake, you never make it again. Right. (laughs) And that's what's most important, right? You got to learn from those mistakes. Yeah. Just like like they say in carpentry, uh, you, you don't chop your thumb off the first time and then you never chop it off again. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. What's the musical bane of your existence? I'm not a big fan of like electronic dance music. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd go as far as saying I hate it, but that would probably be my answer. That's something that I don't really uh, ever really listen to. Nice. So let's get into your taste in music as a person, since we just got down that road. Um, yeah. What's a perfect record somebody else made, and what about it makes it perfect? A lot of those out there, I think, and. I guess before I give an answer, because I need to think about this for a second, about what the record would be, I think uh, making a perfect record would have to do with, you know, capturing what the artist is bringing as far as their ideas, their creativity, the song that they wrote, mm-hmm. um, the group of songs, rather, and, you know, capturing it properly, getting great sounds, getting the idea and the message across to the listener properly. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's some real simple basic songs out there that don't have a ton of production that really make you feel a certain way emotionally, mm-hmm. you know, make, whether it's, you know, happy, sad, making you cry, making you want to, you know, punch through your uh, steering wheel away or driving, whatever it might be. <laughs> I like that. I think, you know, um, capturing that and getting that across to the listener is a huge part of making a perfect record. Mm-hmm. So the feel, and then as far as one of them that I think and again, not to sound cliche, but it's one of my favorite albums. I really like Clarity from Jimmy Eat World. <laughs> that, 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 is the, that is the official answer of this podcast. <laughs> it, I, mean, I, and I should also say this. That's one of my favorite records of all time. And if right. anything like the most influential record on me when I started producing records. Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny because you know, I've listened to um, – you know, a bunch of the podcasts now and, mm. you know, you, you hear that record come up and when I was thinking about that, it was actually not long ago, there was like one of those Facebook lists, like make your top 10 <laughs> records or something. And all my friends, it's, you know, half of them are the same, but that's the one record that was popping up a lot. And, um, you know, it's great. I don't want to try to be uh, too different and say something that I don't love. Yeah, so, yeah, totally. you know, clarity is great. And I think a lot of that comes down to um, feeling as well. You mm-hmm. know, the way that um, they captured uh, everything from the vocals to, you know, changing um, guitar tones between tracks, the stuff that's a little bit more rock, a little bit edgier. You know, you, you feel it through the tones, but also through the performances. That's a really good point. I think that, that it, what it is is like the production feels the way the song's lyrics feel. And it's just, it's so good. It's so tasteful. Yeah. And that's, again, 
I don't want to try to be too different and say something I, I'm not a huge fan of, uh, just to you know, just to say something different. But besides that record, but that is really just how I feel. I, I really like that album, and there's a lot that that you know could be thrown out there as well. Like I said, there's so many records that I think the producers, engineers, artists did a great job of capturing. Uh, their ideas and creativity the way that they need to be captured and sometimes again that's not always the way they come in you know we Mm -hmm. know how much uh, a song or an album can change from you know uh the first time the when the band first wrote the song to where it ends up coming through the speakers to the listener Mm -hmm. you know i i I like to when bands kind of have um you know, maybe it's like a seven inch version or an EP version of a song or a demo that kind of comes out. I like to see you know, where it started and where it ended up. Mm, I like that. So tell me about five of your favorite records throughout your musical growth. Okay. Well, obviously, yeah, Clarity from Jimmy at World is definitely on the list. Something to Write Home About from the Get Up Kids. Uh, another one that I think with that one, it was more about me feeling like I wanted to be a part of what it is that they were doing. Uh, when I listened to that record the first time or the first, you know, hundred times, I don't know, it just made me feel a bit more motivated to want to be involved in music mm. and to any capacity. Yeah, I just, um, I remember going to see them the first time and right when that record uh, had just come out and I don't know, it just, it just made sense to me. Mm-hmm. Another one would be uh, a Buffalo band, actually, uh, Snapcase. Oh, yeah. Um, the album would be Progression Through Unlearning. Yes, yes, same here. Yep, Love that I just Steve Evans. Yes, yes. Uh, it is to me uh, another record that I think he did a great job and the band did a great job of capturing energy. Mm-hmm. That's a it's, great way of putting it. You know, the beginning of Caboose. I mean, mm-hmm. how again, like I said, you may want to punch your fist through a steering wheel or something. Yeah. Like you hear that, you know, that snare drum or at the beginning, it's, you hear a drum fill. It's, it's, it's so funny because. You know, Steve's one of my closest friends, and it's like it's always that thing to him. Though he's like, "Oh, that fucking snare to record that thing." Like to him, <laughs> the way he remembers that record is how annoying that snare was to get to to sit right. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, that's it's definitely you know that snare. Mm-hmm. Um, you hear a split second, you know it's that record from Snapcase. Mm-hmm. But you know that record it, it's special to me because um, you know I was pretty young when it came out, um, and again, it just a band from Buffalo that I would go to all their shows and it's like, Oh wow, they're, they're doing this. This is, this is awesome. You know, I want to be involved in this scene. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and that record's important to me on a lot of different levels, but, uh, that's definitely in my top five. Let's see here. I'd probably say, um, saves the day through being cool. Nice. Another Evitz record. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I'm a fan of Steve. He, yeah. He's, uh, I, so many records. I mm-hmm. mean, so many that I have in my collection that I, I really enjoy. Uh, but that record as well is just something that um, from front to back, I, I just feel like I can't skip a song. Mm-hmm. Like, even if there's a song that I really want to listen to, it's like, oh, man, I just started from the top. Yep. Okay, it's not a bad thing. I'll listen to the whole record a couple times. Yep. Definitely stays in the car for, you know, multiple days at a time when it goes in, in my CD player. And then probably... This is another one I was thinking about a little bit, just because the way it like influenced me to want to play guitar. Mm-hmm. It was Weezer's Blue album. Oh yeah, best. And again, another album from front to back. Um, songs get stuck in your head, and I don't know. Maybe just what I kind of get from that is things don't need to be overly complicated. Mm-hmm. You go in and and come up with you know good tones and come up with. Um, melodies that that could stick in your head and 
Maybe stripping things down in sections of songs makes more sense than building everything up. So that's just something that I feel when I listen to that album that I, you know, not that I'm consciously thinking like, oh, let's do the Weezer trick. But there's times where I'm like, oh, wow, that ends up being simpler but better Mm -hmm. and that's maybe something i get from that record it's funny because when you know like when i go to work on a mastering thing i first thing i think is like oh what's somebody going for i remember like when i first started doing your stuff i was like sounds like they're going for weezer blue album type of thing let's (laughs) let's put that on real quick get inspired you know i try to put on a few things to gauge my head if i've just been working on an edm track so i i predicted that one correctly and that's also one of my favorites of all time too yeah that's great i I think you know with you know with our relationship with you Mm -hmm. doing a lot of mastering on projects for me you know there's definitely uh, a bit of an understanding I think that you have for the material that I'm sending over to you. And I know there's times where we talk a little bit back and forth mm-hmm. about, um, Hey, what, what are you thinking for this, for this release or what's, mm-hmm. what's the maybe reference project? Yeah. I think that is definitely a, a safe bet. Um, <laughs> you know, the way you went into it, because <laughs> nice. uh, it seems like we have a lot of the same interests. Yes. Um, so what else you got? One of them that again, uh, not trying to be too like, uh, just Buffalo bands or anything, but this one was really when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Goo Goo Dolls, uh, a boy named Goo. Nice. When that, and you know, years later, I ended up working at you know Robbie's studio, which mm-hmm. is you know awesome for me. And I and I thought it was really cool, but um, that record when I was a kid was again, another mixed in kind of with uh, Weezer's Blue album for me was like one of the reasons why I wanted to like even play a guitar. So that's another one that I really uh, I really enjoy listening to to this day. Nice. How about your three favorite producers? There's a lot of them, but if I had to pick three, uh, Brian McTurnan yes. is definitely, I mean, he, he might even just be number one for me. You know, so many great records that uh, are influential uh, for me and I think for uh, the music scene that those records were released in and mm-hmm. just uh, really, really respect uh, Brian McTurnan so much. Yeah, he was really is one one of the underappreciated greats. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, he's I don't know, just again as far as particular records from him, there, there's so many. But uh, again, he worked with Snapcase a bit, mm-hmm. Hot Rod Circuit, you know, thrice. Uh, and the list goes on and on. Yeah. So uh, him definitely. Uh, Jerry Finn, I really liked uh, Jerry Finn, and that again maybe kind of uh, when I was younger and. A lot of stuff I was listening to at the time, you know, with, with that he had done. I don't know. I just felt like, oh wow, so this is what this band should sound like. Yeah. And that's with with his productions. That's something I feel that he uh, achieved uh, a lot of the time. Yeah, the, the, the king. Yes, definitely. And another one is a guy who's uh, pretty local, uh, mm-hmm. Dave Fridman. Yes. Well. Uh, again, somebody who I just have so much respect for, and. You know, he the sounds that he gets in his productions are, you know, they're again not always um, expected. I guess you could say such interesting sounds and the way he helps bands, I guess, identify maybe a different angle on mm-hmm. a song that they wrote. You know, it's it's worked for a lot of bands, and there's been a lot of artists who I feel have great success because of his contributions mm-hmm. to their overall sound and it ends up becoming, you know, he becomes a huge part of their style. I agree. So yeah. he is another, he'd probably be in my, my top three as well. 
Yeah, he's on that podcast, Working Class Audio, this week. And when we get done with this, I'm like putting on my headphones and listening <laughs> to that on my bike ride over to my next thing. I'm like so psyched because I've never heard an interview with him talking. I've only read the tape op one, and I'm like, he's one of my all time favorites. Yeah, I I agree. Again, he's just somebody who um, you know anything from from like the Flaming Lips to you know, MGMT, Phantom mm-hmm. Planet. Uh, I mean, there's so many so many uh, artists that he's worked on that. Again, I feel like I could hear him in his productions mm-hmm. all the time, and I just I love it. I just love the sounds he gets, and um, his mixes are, are just so uh, so great. They always they always blow me away. Nice. Um, how about your favorite record of recent times, and what inspires you about it? There is oh, there's a lot of them, but there's a record I got into uh, maybe about a year and a half, two years ago now from Gates, uh, Boom oh, yeah. and Breathe. Mm-hmm. I just I really again when I when I first heard that record, I um, it's definitely stayed in my car for weeks and it's again the the style maybe because there is a little bit of a throwback to um to this, a lot of the stuff that I was kind of listening to a lot uh coming up in, into uh the musical scene um Jimmy World I hear that in there a lot so that was probably one of the reasons why it's so appealing to me, but I just think that record sounds great. Their ideas, uh, the writing, the dynamics of it probably would be one of the most appealing things to me. The way that they, they break sections down of songs and, and the way they rebuild them. I just really enjoy that record. It, it's kind of like a, you know, the capture. Each song has its its own feel, you know, the way they did it. I just really enjoy that album. And again, I think it's about going on about two years old now. Yeah. Uh, I've I've heard it immensely because my roommate loves it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Uh, so my last question for you is, uh, what have you been working on lately? This year, 2016 has been a busy one. And um, honestly, I am so grateful for, for all the artists and bands who've wanted to come in and do some work with me here. And um, uh, some of the ones that I, I uh, popping in my head right now, just thinking about it would be uh, Del Paxton. Mm-hmm. Uh, just did their new record this year. Water me down. Yes. Again, I, you mastered that one, I yes. believe. F- fantastic record. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed that one as well. The traditional is a band that actually you just did that as well for me. Uh, Every time I die, I was here with Will Putney and I, that was great. Another band I'm working on actually right now, uh, super American. Nice. Doing a new EP with them. So yeah, the projects have been keeping me really busy, but uh, like again, it's, I feel uh, I'm very grateful and uh, you know very lucky uh, to you know have had you know my hand in any of these records. Yeah, so that's why I've been up to this year. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet: that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook, share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Jesse Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going. 